table. Uh, so if you start too quickly, you will pass it. Uh, but Genesis chapter 2. And the book of Genesis uh, is, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great book. It's a very condensed book. It covers a lot of ground very rapidly. Uh, the first chapter covering creation. Um, and then proceeding from there, the story of Adam and Eve, and then the story of Cain and Abel, and, and so many other stories. But I'll, I want to focus on this first portion of Genesis today. Uh, the six days of creation, and I want to talk a little bit. I want to preach under this title, The Rest You Need. How many of us feel like we need some rest? I'm going to tell you. So I'm at the end of dealing with all of the, the sinus junk that comes with um, the pollen and everything, and so always at the end of that, you know, you, I at least go from being very stuff, stuffed stuffed up, not being able to breathe or talk, apparently, um, to, you know, everything finally getting over it. My sinuses are like, okay, this is the new reality. Let's just adjust. And then uh, my voice gets like it is today, which is like the preacher's voice. That's what a preacher wants is that deep, gravelly voice. I'm just going to say that. It's like the radio voice. And uh, my voice gets like this. And then... You know, at the end of it, my sinuses drain and all that junk. You know, you know how it is. I'm not going to go beyond that in depth. Um, but maybe I'm preaching on the rest you need because last night I just did not rest very good. I kept coughing and coughing and coughing. But that's not the purpose of this sermon. Uh, I am going to talk about the rest that each one of us needs. Imagine the flurry of activity in the first six days of creation. Imagine it all, if you can. It's, other than reading about it, it's, it's challenging for us to imagine all the activity that went into it. The first day, the Lord creates the heavens and the earth. It's void, it's shapeless. Darkness covers the face of the earth. And then he speaks light. The division of light and darkness, they separate and that is the creation of the day and the night, the first day. It's complete. The Lord says it is good. And then the second day, he separates the sky from the earth. He creates the clouds, the firmaments of the heavens, the earth. And it's good. The third day, he separates the land from the sea. And the earth begins to take on some form of shape in its shapelessness. He gives us the fields and the crops and the grass and all the things that are upsetting our sinuses now. Thank God for his creation. But he said it was good. And then the fourth day, he gives us the stars, the moon, the sun, the seasons, the movement of the earth, the world, revolution. He says it's good. The fifth day, he creates the creatures of the sky, creatures of the sea, and he says it's good. So he gives us the chicken of the sea and the chicken of the land, assuming the chicken, you know, they don't fly a lot, but I'm assuming they were included 
in the sky creation. The fifth day, if you've been the Popeyes, you know it was good. I had some of you can laugh at my lame jokes. I appreciate you. The sixth day creates the creatures of the land. And if the chicken was increased on that and created on that day, it was good also. But he creates the creatures of the land. But his most exquisite thing on the sixth day, right, is the making of man. The making of man. Man's fashioned by his hand, made in his image, the breath of life given from God, his figurative lungs, into the nostrils of man. He says, it is good. Each day, the conclusion of the work that was to be done, he declares, it is good, it is good. The seventh day, we call it the Lord's Day. Genesis says that he, he rested. He rested because his work was finished. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Everything is finished. It is good. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The seventh day he rested. The Sabbath he rested. He rested because it was good. He rested because it was perfect, he rested. Because he had completed the work, he rested. An interesting point, the sixth day is known as the day of man. The day man was created. The seventh day, the man, or the seventh day, the day of God. Rest day, the Sabbath. The number six holds in it all the weakness and limitation of mankind. The mark of the beast referenced in Revelation represents a false religion that's devised by humanity. Six, six, six. And that number represents man, man, man. It's all the ways that man tries to do everything without God. So you get to the sixth day, it's all about man. But the seventh day is all about God. See, we have this idea that everything is evil in this world is controlled by Satan, governed by Satan. The reality is Satan does not have to control us. He only needs to influence and persuade us. So the number six represents all of the weakness, limitation, the shortcomings of mankind. But the day of seven, the completion, represents God's perfectness. 
seventh day represents the Lord and all of his completion. And God rested. God did not rest because he was weary from the work that had been done in creation. He rested because he was satisfied. He rested because it was good. He rested because he knew that everything he had done up until that point was going to carry on. He could rest knowing that on that eighth day, everything he had set in motion was going to become perpetual and carry itself forward. All that he had done, all the work, all that was good, all that was perfect, all that was complete would continue on. The Sabbath or the rest of God as the Sabbath is known. What it means is it means perfect satisfaction in that which has been accomplished. And so God rested on that seventh day because everything that he had set out to do was accomplished. Think about that for a moment. God rested because he was satisfied. I may be alone in this, but I'm not sure that I've ever really, really completed any single thing that I set out to do. What I mean by that is not that I didn't finally say, okay, that's good enough. What I mean is inside of me, there's this drive to try and make everything perfect. Can anyone relate to that? I want it to be perfect. I paint a picture. What do I do? I see all of the blemishes and the mistakes. I have no problem working on someone else's website or doing their graphic design, which if you don't know, that's some of what I used to do regularly. I'll work on theirs because I'm okay with the mistakes because they finally say that looks amazing. At least I hope that's what they say. If they, they lie to me if they're, you know, anyway. But even if I go back to it, I see the blemishes and mistakes. I see the imperfections. I'm never really satisfied. If I write a story, I write an article, I write a sermon, I always feel that it can be improved on. I'm not satisfied and it's never really finished. When was the last time you had the feeling presented in the seventh day of God being totally satisfied, it's perfect and I'm satisfied? When was the last time you felt that? Or have you ever felt that feeling of it being completely to your satisfaction? It was perfect. On the seventh day, God was satisfied. He was at peace with what he had created. It was perfect. He could rest with the knowledge that all that he had done up until that point could not be undone. Even now, the universe continues in perfect balance and harmony. The sun's going to come up tomorrow because God satisfied it. The seasons are going to change. We'll eventually get past all this sneezing and sniffling. Life continues. 
And so God satisfied. He rested. The Sabbath was not about resting and returning to work. That's what we're led to kind of believe, that the Sabbath was about taking a day of rest. And, you know, you've got to rest because it's coming back. Work's going to happen again. That's true with man, but not with God. God was satisfied. It was complete. It was finished. And so God rested with no intention of returning to work because everything was done. The Sabbath was about God finishing the work. Notice a few things about the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The first is this. God ordained it. He chose the time of rest. He could have taken a day in the middle of creation, but he didn't. He waited until he was completely satisfied and he rested. It also says, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He blessed it. The special favor and delight of God was on that day. That's what blessing means. If you're blessed in your life, it's because there's special favor and delight from God on your life. It says then that he sanctified it. It was the result of his own wisdom, power, and goodness. And because it was his. It was set apart to his own possession, set apart for his inheritance. He sanctified it. That's what sanctified means. And if you're one of his and you've been sanctified, as Scripture tells us, we should be. That means you're set apart to him. You're, you're not your own. You don't govern your life. We like to think that we're in control, but the reality is we are to submit to him in sanctification. We're set apart to be his own special people set apart as his own possession and inheritance. So he ordained it, he blessed it, he sanctified it, and as his inheritance, he made it for humanity. God didn't take a day of rest because he needed to rest. He took a day of rest because humanity needed it. It's known as the day of grace. On the sixth day, man was made. But the first day of Adam's existence and experience was the seventh day, the Sabbath. Humanity immediately entered into the blessing of God, the day of enjoyment of all that the Lord had created, the seventh day. God had done the work. God had satisfied what was needed. God had set everything in the motion. God had perfected his work and now brought to completion, finished it, and it was good. And man enters in with him into rest and satisfaction. At least that's the way God had intended for it to be. You can only imagine Adam living in God's perfect work. You can only imagine Adam living in the blessing of God's satisfaction, God's rest, perfect day. But sin ruined man. It ruined and it robbed man of the enjoyment of God's rest. It ruined and it robbed us of all of the happiness, the peace, the joy, the satisfaction of being in that close relationship with God 
in a perfect world. Throughout Scripture, humanity is shown as having either <coughs> no satisfaction or only temporary satisfaction. And all of us can relate in some ways to this. It's quite a distinct, different picture from that first day entering into God's satisfaction because we have moments of dissatisfaction. We have moments where we're not happy. We have moments where we need rest. We have moments where we need some kind of fulfillment. We may fill our bellies with food, but every one of us knows what it is to hunger again. We may satisfy our thirst, but every one of us will thirst again. It's coming again. We may be pleased with our work. We may be pleased with our career, but there's always more work to do. There's always some way we can advance. There's always something more. We may achieve great things. Someone else appears to have done more. And so we're left with this desire that goes unfulfilled of more. Dissatisfaction. We might store up wealth, but there's always more wealth to gain. Interesting fact, did you know 20%? 20%. 20 is the number of the average amount that the wealthiest individuals in the world feel they need in addition to what they already have to be satisfied and feel secure. That's according to research by a team of wealth managers who asked them, what more do you need to gain? We sit back, we call it being greeted, greedy. And we say, I, I wouldn't be like that. If I had all that, I wouldn't be like that. But how easy we deceive ourselves because what they're really dealing with is the same thing every one of us deal with. The same problem that you and I have of just never being satisfied. Because the truth is sin does not satisfy. And sin is what has robbed us of satisfaction with God. The things found in this world, they do not satisfy your satisfaction, your peace, your rest, your happiness, it cannot be found in living the luxurious life. That's not where it's found. It can't be found in freedom from labor. That's not where it's found. It can't be found in a person you have a relationship with. It can't be found in a place or a thing or the next thing or the thing you consume or the next consumption that takes your life. It can't be found in any of those things. And at the root of our dissatisfaction is a never-ending thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. And we've been duped into thinking that a better job, that more money, that cooler different friends, that another spouse or a new life is really what we need. And so we go perpetually chasing after something that will never satisfy. And if we can't obtain any of those things, or when they leave us dissatisfied, we resort to drug abuse, sexual immorality, or just senseless entertainment, trying to find that happiness and peace and escape 
from the reality of being not satisfied. God, on that seventh day, he rested because he was satisfied. Is it possible that our lack of peace and rest comes more from the fact that there is something inside of us that we have not dealt with that brings us to a place in God where we are satisfied? Because your satisfaction in life, your peace, your rest, your happiness, it's only going to be found in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Not because you don't have to eat some food, but because the food you're going to eat is never going to satisfy. Satisfaction is only found in him. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The Sabbath was made for man, not for God. And the laws around the Sabbath, even in the Old Testament, keeping the Sabbath, they were about remembering. It wasn't about just some ritual or tradition. It was about remembering. Exodus 20 and 8 says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Why? Remember. Remember rest. Remember peace. Remember satisfaction. Remember the gift of God, that God did all of the work and mankind entered into that day of satisfaction. How easily we forget. The theme was rest found only in the Lord. And so whenever manna came from heaven... On the Sabbath, no manna would be given. They had to collect double in order that that day they could take that day of rest and remember the work of God. Work today so that you may rest tomorrow remembering that this one day was what God had intended for you to live like. Completely satisfied at rest, having his perfect will done in your life. And it was all about knowing that there was another day coming. Another day of rest that was intended for his people. David wrote about it. Isaiah prophesied about it. Joel prophesied of it. There's coming a day of rest. And it would come in a restoration of the Sabbath. You know why we don't have a Sabbath. I mean, we talk about the Lord's Day. We act like Sunday is supposed to be the Sabbath where we, we rest and give a day to the Lord, and you should do all of those things. But it's not about tradition. It's not about ritual. It's not about something God has commanded. It is about the restoration that God has done in Jesus Christ, a work of God that would be completed in the last days that would give his people rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because rest, satisfaction, peace, all of those things can only be found in the work of Jesus Christ. So God and his people would be satisfied just as on the first Sabbath. Jesus praying in Gethsemane, he said, I have finished the work. John 4, 17, 4, 
I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. What was that work? It was overcoming sin. It was overcoming the thing that robbed of satisfaction. It was overcoming the thing that robbed of rest. It was overcoming the thing that stole peace and brought shame and put us in a place of separation from God, overcoming. And on the cross, he declared, it is finished. The atonement was purchased, that rest. The atonement had satisfied judgment. The atonement of the blood restored back between God and man, the thing that God had intended man to have. John 19, 28 through 30 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That word there means it's complete. It's done. It's satisfied. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What was he doing? He was satisfying forever the thing that had stolen humanity away from him and opened up to you and I the final gift of God for us a Sabbath like no other a rest from our works of sin and from the burden of shame and carrying on life as normal trying to pursue and grab a hold of anything that would satisfy our soul that is hungry for the things of God the complete work of God is not when you believe in Jesus Christ. That's not when God's work is complete in your life. It's when he pours out his spirit on your life. That's when God's work is complete. He fills your heart with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that is the rest. That's what Isaiah said. Isaiah 28 and 12 to whom he said, this is the rest which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And I want to tell someone today, the rest that you need, the thing that you need to satisfy your soul, the thing that you need in your life more than anything else is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because it's in that seventh day work, the work of completion and satisfaction with God, that you're going to find your joy your peace and your rest it's not going to be in anything else that you've tried or pursued up until this time it's only going to be when you recognize and acknowledge that God has already done the work and you can turn to him with everything in your life and put it on the throne and say here you go God put it before him and say this is what I have now return to me what was promised to me it's called repentance and in repentance, turning to Him, God begins a work in our life of restoring to us the things that were lost through sin. And the things lost through sin, it's, it's not your fame, it's not your fortune, it's not all the relationships that are offered in this world, it's not any of those things that we think are going to satisfy us. It's in a relationship with Him. Isaiah 28 and 12 points to Acts 2 and says this was the promise that was being given. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them 
utterance, what did they do? They began to speak in another language they did not know. This will give you rest. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And if you read on, they begin to question, what is this? What is happening? Peter stands up and he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What's this? This is the sound. What you hear right now, this is what God is doing. This is the results of what God is doing. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. He says, this is what was prophesied. This is what was promised. This what you hear. These people speaking in tongues. These people that are receiving from God a refreshing. That's what he would go on and say. This is the refreshing. This is what was promised. The promise of Joel, the promised rest of Isaiah. The rest, the satisfaction, the completion, the finished work of the cross is found in this. And if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you what you're missing out on. It's not just some extra dimensional blessing that God has for certain people. That's not what it is. What it is, it is the satisfaction that God intended for his people. It is the rest and the peace that you need to walk through all of the trials of life. It's not going to take away trouble in your life. How many Holy Ghost-filled people can agree with me on that? It's not just going to take away all of your struggles. It's not going to take away the memory of the things that have happened to you in your life. It's not going to take away the burden of every sin memory that you have. It will only give you peace and rest in the middle of that as you walk through this life. And one day we will enter into that final rest where there is peace and joy in the presence of Jesus Christ and we are made whole. Right now we're not whole. Right now we're still in the sixth day. But there is a seventh day coming where God will complete all of it and we will walk in rest and freshness and newness. And this is the inheritance of that coming rest. It's the guaranteed down payment. That's what Paul said. He said it's a payment. It's a down payment on what's coming. He also said this is the mark, the seal of those people that have experienced the rest of God. Hebrews talks about the rest being found in, in him. And you know what the difference is between people who experience the rest and don't experience the rest? Hebrews only says one thing. They did not believe. They did not believe. I'm going to tell you the danger of our American Christian culture is we have been lied to to believe that just believing is enough. But it's not just believing. There's a dimension of receiving. And God intends for you to receive his promise, it's for you, for your family, for every person you know, every person who walks in this life through troubled times and through trials and through tragedies and through sin and through shame. It's for every one of them. From what we think is the best of us to the worst of us, it is for everyone. But we've been robbed. 
Because the devil would tell you, through good-meaning people, that you don't have to receive that. Even if you don't have to receive that, why would you not want to receive that? It is the gift of God, grace to man, a gift that no other can give because only God can satisfy and fulfill. It's his work. It's not a work of man. It's not a work that we do for ourselves. It is the work of God. God has set all these things in motion. I'm fixing the end. He has put all of these things in motion. And even now, from the day of Acts chapter 2 until now, he continues to pour out his spirit on everyone that would receive it. And they know because they experience the same, the same sign is in the book of Acts chapter 2. They speak with tongues because this is the rest. This is the refreshment the refreshing. This is the satisfaction of God, completion of work in your life. And if you've been filled with the Spirit here today, I have a message for you. And I want you to understand, and maybe this is why I'm preaching this right now. I want someone here to understand there's not an additional thing that God needs to do in your life. And I know I'm talking to people that you have things that you wish God would just remove and take care of. I have some things. I'll admit that. I've got some things I wish God would take care of and just remove. God, why do, why do I keep dealing with this same stuff over and over? You know what? I don't need something additional from God. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, He gave me everything I needed. It satisfies all of the challenges that I'm going to face in life. If I allow God to work and I allow Him to have His perfect way, there is nothing in this life that His gift to me can't help me go through. Nothing. So quit looking back. Stop looking back trying to get something back from your past that you are never intended to recover. Because God has put in your life what you already need right now. And going forward, pull your eyes from the past and put your eyes on the future. Look toward what God has for you in the coming days, has for your family in the coming days, has for you at the end of this life. There are eternal things that are much more valuable than anything you lost in the past. And you can lay down all of that condemnation. You can lay down that burden of shame that you've resisted giving up and surrendering to God. You can lay all of those things down and let God have his way in your life if you're willing to. If you're willing to. If you'll stand with me.
God, you see every person in this place, every person who may be joining online. We'll see this sermon later sometime. God, you know the dissatisfactions of our heart. You know the things that we long for, things that we desperately want. God, I pray that your spirit would say to someone today and confirm your word that there is rest in you. There is rest in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is rest in the work that you've already completed and you finished at Calvary's cross and in the birth of the church. There is rest. There is peace. There is satisfaction. There is completeness. There's all the things that your people need. God, I pray that you would confirm that today in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I say to someone hurting today, someone that is troubled today, God has rest for you. God has an answer for you. God has a work to do in your life. God is at work right now. He rested because it was done. It's satisfying. So he's already done the work that needs to happen. You just touch him. Just touch him. Church family, can we pray for just a moment? In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. There are going to be